What's up, cyber friends and crypto homies? Hope everybody's doing great this week. Today is Friday, September the 6th of 2019. This is episode 85 of the Cybersecurity and Cryptocurrency Podcast. I'm your host, Eric English. All the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely my opinions and do not reflect that of my employer. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy. So we've got a lot of fun things to dive into today. So probably one of the biggest things we'll talk about today is the recent threat that was found by Google Project Zero that was uh, basically targeting iPhones. So we'll talk a lot about that and what's come of that over the last few days. Going to talk a little bit about Cisco and a recent vulnerability there. Also going to talk about the total annual cost of data breaches. And of course, we'll talk about some data leaks, which include user accounts and also phone numbers, two different stories there. And the last thing in cybersecurity, we'll also talk about a deep fake, they're calling it, where somebody impersonated a CEO. So on the crypto side of things, we're going to talk about a new stable coin that's coming out called Pax Gold. Also going to talk a little bit about uh, crypto regulation in Switzerland. Also going to talk a lot about altcoins and what's going on with the various altcoins. And then a really crazy story that that I found. Uh, One of the, there was a senator that, excuse me, a U.S. Treasury official who was urging Congress to stop crypto miners in order to fight human trafficking. So we'll talk a lot about that. That was a very odd story there. Talk briefly about Price Waterhouse Coopers, PwC, what they're doing with blockchain. And we're also going to talk about custody services in crypto and what what exactly that means. What is your understanding of it? How much of it do you understand? And do you buy into it? So a lot of fun things to get to here. First and foremost, though, let's start with the probably the biggest news of the week, the uh, Targeted attacks on iPhone users. This has been a crazy evolving story. So Google Project Zero came out the other day and said that they have evidence of iPhones being targeted by a specific group and also evidence that this hacker group also had some zero-day exploits for the iPhone. So this was a very, very interesting story. It's, It's still evolving. But to get to the point of the story, the they're essentially saying that this was released by probably by uh, the Chinese government, they're thinking, and it was specifically to track Muslims that were entering their country. So again, this, a lot of this is still speculation, so this isn't by any means the official statement by anybody, but certainly interesting stuff to think about there. And now come to find out they're saying that there might also be some targets on Android devices as well. So, of course, everybody in the iPhone world is up in arms about all this. And it's obviously for for good reason. I mean, this is very scary to think about. And iPhone's generally touted as one of the most secure platforms out there. And that's why a lot of people buy the iPhone, because it's supposed to be the most secure. So the big question here is... How much more of this is going on that we don't know about? Uh, State-sponsored, country-sponsored, whatever you want to call it, nation-state-sponsored, doesn't really matter. How much of this is actually going on that we don't know about? How many other zero days are out there and we just don't know about? 
and they're actively being exploited. And uh, so this campaign's been going on for about two years, they think, as well. So they're definitely targeting a very specific group of people. Uh, again, they were they initial thoughts there, they're targeting Muslims. But nonetheless, it makes you wonder what they could be targeting about U.S. citizens. And if they're using some other sort of tactics to do that, or if maybe another country is doing that to U.S. citizens. So there's a lot to think about with all of that. And it's scary either way. And of course, what's worse is you don't know what's happening. And this particular espionage kind of campaign installed a tracker on your phone as well. And it was able to track pretty much everything you did. So very, very, very concerning for iPhone and apparently now Android users. So there's lots of things to digest there. And it's bound to be happening other places as well. We can't just put our heads in the sand and pretend it's not. Especially if this thing's been going on for two years and completely unnoticed. I mean, this this has to be happening elsewhere and we just don't have any knowledge of it, right? It's scary. It really, really is. So another big question is what can you do as an individual to protect yourself? That was probably one of the first things that came to my mind is... How can, even if this was happening to me, how could I protect myself? And if this stuff is sophisticated enough, it's very hard. And no matter what kind of VPN you're using or anything else, if they have something installed on your device doing the monitoring, it's hard. It is hard to protect yourself. So this is where things like encrypted messaging apps come into play or putting passcodes on any kind of sensitive apps on your phone. The passcode being that you have to punch in a passcode just to open the app, not just to unlock your phone. Uh, but also using encrypted messaging apps, things like Signal or Wire or any, anything like that. But still, regardless, if there's something on your phone, and let's say they're even doing keystroke logging, there's nothing you can do. Literally nothing you can do. And so that's what's what's really disheartening about this whole thing. Everyone wants to know, what can I do to protect myself? And I've been racking my brain over the last few days, and I haven't really come up with anything all that great. If they're on your device, oh, man, it's tough really, really tough. So if anybody has any good ideas in that kind of a situation, I'd love to hear them because I'm, I'm still still trying to think of a good one. So hit me up on Twitter with some of those ideas if you've got some. That's definitely something I'd be open to hearing ideas on. Only real things I've thought of were those encrypted messaging apps, but you know, if they're on your phone, it's just, man, what do you do? So the way these guys were infecting phones, they were doing it through the Safari browser on the iPhone, they were able to get people to go to these links or various websites. And just by visiting the site, your phone got infected, got this little monitoring bug on it. So a pretty covert scheme all in all. And hearing about this definitely makes me feel like it's happening elsewhere and we're just not aware of it yet. So I wonder if somebody would come up with some sort of a, for lack of a better term, a firewall for your phone. So you can actually watch all the incoming and outgoing traffic on your phone. Because if we do have that kind of a thing, I would suspect at least that it would catch this stuff. I think until we have something like that, we, we could you know, probably won't see any of this kind of traffic leaving our phones. I also think that if you did have an app like that, that could show you every bit of traffic. I mean, back in the day, they used to have a program called Zone Alarm. And it would alert you to literally everything coming in and going out of your PC. A very similar thing for the phone would be awesome, especially for privacy-minded folks and even security people, really. 
Now, I don't know if something like this already exists. I, I haven't looked it up. I'm just thinking on the fly here. But something like that might actually open up a lot of eyes and people could see how much data is actually leaving their phones and hopefully be able to see where it's going to. If it's going to Apple or Google or Amazon, whoever it is, I think an app like that would be able to tell you a lot of that stuff. And it might open a lot more eyes to especially privacy-related things. So, hey, that might be a good business model or a good uh, app to develop if you're into that kind of thing. They could certainly make some money there, I would think. Make a zone alarm-type firewall app for your phones so you can see anything and everything leaving your phone as far as data goes and connections certainly could be really really eye-opening that's for damn sure i was thinking of some other ways to protect yourself and really the only other thing i came up with was using aliases instead of your real name for everything a lot of people don't like doing that and i can understand that obviously for banking and things like things like that you can't use an alias but you know for everything else it's it's not a bad idea to use an alias i know it kind of sounds weird but I typically don't give my real name on a lot of different things. Of course, there are a few exceptions, but if it's something that I'm, you know, researching or I'm not going to really dive into too much, they're getting an alias and I'm not going to use my real name. And the reason that would potentially help you in this kind of a situation where you're being monitored is, you know, they would be looking for somebody with that name and the name is actually not you. It's just an alias. But really, that's still still not a foolproof plan. There are still ways around that. And you know, even with a firewall type of app on your phone, I'm sure if these guys are good enough to write zero days, I'm sure they can figure out another way to circumvent that firewall as well. So anyway, that one was probably the biggest news of the week and certainly the most thought-provoking of the week. All right, some other data breach related news. 419 million Facebook users' telephone numbers were leaked in an insecure database. Yay! One more nail in the coffin for Facebook. This is still spilling over from Cambridge Analytica and everything else privacy-related that they've done, letting all these third parties access all that data. And now we're finding those third parties weren't securing that data, and here you go. So phone numbers out there for pretty much everybody there, 419 million. Quite a bit. And again, Facebook can't control these third parties. These third parties have to secure that information themselves. And of course... They did not in this case. So for the example of Facebook and trying to use an alias and stay anonymous there, instead of using your real phone number, get a burner phone number. I typically use Google Voice, and I have a couple of different accounts that I'll use. One is a number I give out if I really don't want to talk to anybody. Uh, I do have another Google Voice number for people that I do want to talk to, and it's business-related. I'll give them that number. And I never give out my actual phone number to anybody especially putting that kind of stuff on a website you know you'd you'd much rather have some burner phone number compromised or or leaked or whatever you want to call it instead of your actual phone number because with the google voice stuff i mean you can easily just set up another account and get a new number Uh, i think it's a pretty minimal fee to change your phone number. I want to say it's like eight or 10 bucks maybe to change your phone number. So it's really not bad if you wanted to go that route as well and not set up a new Google Voice account. But that's just another way to to help you remain anonymous and hopefully not be affected by as many of these kind of data leaks. 
in other data leak news, there was a forum that was breached. Uh, the forum is XKCD. I've never used that before, but uh, they've been breached. 560,000 user accounts were stolen as part of that. So they just keep trickling in, don't they? All right, some other news that I saw was about the annual costs worldwide of data breaches. And some some of the numbers that these folks put together, they were saying by 2024, the the total cost worldwide is going to be upwards of $5 trillion. That is a lot of money. Of course, it's worldwide. I get that. But data leaks, data breaches are so common right now. And it's crazy to think about. And when I saw this article, I immediately thought, how do we, how do we, not allow this to happen? How do we stop this? How do we make that number less? I mean, if we know for sure that this is, you know, or essentially what the number is going to be as far as cost goes in 2024, why don't we do something about it now? How do we, how do we stop this? What, what ideas can people come up with to prevent more of these breaches? And the answers are tough. I don't have the answers, that's for sure. You're only as strong as your weakest link in all circumstances related to IT. So just, it just takes one user, one phishing email, and boom, you're done. So how do you stop it? It's just, it's, it's crazy to think about, though. That's so much money. There's got to be something we can do as a community, as a cybersecurity group, as, as professionals. There's, there has to be something that we can do to help lower that number and to really just stop a lot of these data breaches to begin with. And I think the more that people are pushing to move to the cloud, we're seeing, we're now seeing more of these data breaches because of that data being in the cloud. So it's cer- certainly something I'm going to be thinking about because, like I said, I don't have the answers, but if I can affect that number even a little bit, that's certainly what I want to do. There's got to be a way. I mean, there just has to be something we can do to help lower that number because that is just crazy money. Either way, the biggest thing here is not one person can solve an issue that big. Everybody needs to come together, not only as a community, but as a country even, and figure out a way to attack this. There has to be some sort of new tech, some new innovation, something that can help prevent a lot of these breaches. Otherwise, we're just going to continue to see these numbers go up, and yeah, I'm sure the five trillion number will will be something we actually hit. I hope not, though. I hope that there's some new innovation or something that we can do. If you have any ideas on that, I'd love to hear them. Uh, Hit me up on Twitter if you got some ideas there. Some other news here about a Cisco remote execution bypass, excuse me, remote authentication bypass that uh, was labeled critical by Cisco. So if you're a big Cisco shop, you've probably already seen this alert, but make sure you go out there and get the latest patch for this particular bug because it can allow a remote attacker to get unauthenticated access and bypass any sort of authentication to get into your Cisco device. So make sure you're getting that up to date and patched. Oh, one more interesting article I found in uh, cybersecurity. Pretty tricky, tricky thing these researchers found, but essentially the researchers are saying that an attacker can send a rogue over-the-air provisioning message to susceptible phones and potentially even route all internet traffic through a hacker-controlled proxy. So talk about crazy. So most carriers out there, wireless carriers, will send provisioning uh, information to your phone 
Well, some researchers found a way to do that. Um, most of them are on Android handsets. Uh, these include Samsung, LG, Sony. Uh, Huawei was also included in that. So the user does have to accept these new settings, but apparently the the researchers are saying that they can make it look like it's you know coming from the the actual uh, wireless carrier there. So that was a tricky one, but certainly a really cool read. I'll I'll post that one in the show notes as well. And last but not least, there was a what they're calling a deep fake. Uh, basically a social engineering attack on a company where they were able to use a voice attack, uh, essentially spoofing the CEO, and they got $243,000 out of that company. So it was an energy company, they're saying, and all because of an AI-powered deepfake voice creation software of some sort that mimicked the CEO's voice. So, wow, talk about crazy stuff there, right? These types of things are going to get more and more prevalent as people get access to more and more high-tech stuff. So we're going to see some wild hacks here in the future as AI and all that stuff becomes much more popular. All right, let's jump over to the cryptocurrency side of things. Seeing a few new interesting stable coins coming out. Uh, One in particular is called the Pax Gold Uh, It's a gold-backed Ethereum token, so that's an interesting one. Binance also just announced that they're going to come out with a stable coin that's backed by U.S. dollars. So we're seeing a lot more of those stable coins coming out, and really for good reason. The the markets are so volatile, it's hard to get people to want to invest for long periods of time because who knows, it could go... It could just tank completely or it could go through the roof. There's really no telling. And so more and more of these stable coins will certainly help um, and help draw more investors into cryptocurrency. So that's cool stuff, especially with Binance getting into that game as well. Very, very cool stuff there. All right, some other good news here about crypto banking regulation. So we are starting to see some growth and some progress with banking regulation in regards to crypto uh, around the world. So in particular, the Swiss Financial Market Supervisory Authority are going to essentially give banking licenses to two different cryptocurrency banks. So that is, that's the first that I've seen at, light, at least where it's an all cryptocurrency bank. And apparently they're going to still be held to the same kinds of regulations that other Swiss banks are being held to. So that's really cool. We'll have to see how that shakes out there. But uh, certainly some good progress there. In the U.S., you know, this this hasn't gotten much growth, unfortunately. We're, we're certainly starting to see more and more of it, but not nearly as much growth as being issued banking licenses by the government or anything to run just a crypto bank. But this will be a great thing for for everybody, really. They're going to see how well these Swiss banks do. And, you know, if they do well, then some of that stuff might spill over to the U.S. and to other countries as well. All right. Some other news here about altcoins. So you've probably all seen it. We're probably all feeling it in our pockets. Alt season has basically not happened this year as everybody was predicting when they say alt season they typically mean that there's going to be a big boom in all the altcoins and they're going to you're going to see a, a big uptick in prices and all the altcoins are just going to go through the roof and all that kinds of great stuff like that but unfortunately this year we have not seen any of that whatsoever it's uh, quite unfortunate 
And now some of the new speculation is that until Bitcoin hits $20,000, they're saying a lot of these altcoins aren't going to barely budge at all. So that's certainly disheartening for a lot of the crypto community. Of course, this is, you know, one hedge fund manager's opinion of all this stuff, but we have seen very little movement with all the altcoins this year. And, you know, sure, there were some some small spikes. We got, you know, like Ethereum got up to about 200, but, you know, it's way back down now. We're not we're not seeing those strong growth like we did back in, you know, 2017, 2018. And again, a lot of this is related to how crypto trading on on exchanges works. I mean, most people trade using Bitcoin first. And so Bitcoin's always going to be the big daddy. So if people are cashing out, they're going to cash it out to Bitcoin first and then cash it out into whatever fiat currency they're uh, they're using in their local country. So, but I'll post the the article uh, about this and this hedge fund manager's uh, analysis on all this stuff, but it certainly sucks for all of us holding all the altcoins and uh, hoping that they go up, but Bitcoin is still the big daddy. All right, here's a really funny one here. <laughs> Get this, a a human trafficking expert is urging U.S. Congress to regulate crypto mining. So this guy is basically saying that cryptocurrencies are helping to facilitate human trafficking and therefore should be regulated far more heavily than they are currently. Supposedly some expert witness got in front of the U.S. Senate and was urging them to do this. Uh, there's a written testimony by a guy named David Murray who recommended that Congress create a new class of financial institutions known as virtual asset transaction validators. So essentially it would be crypto miners. And then the validators would have to know who they are dealing with, just like any other financial institutions, but very much unlike today's miners, of course. And he's basically citing lack of financial crimes compliance and, and all kinds of other compliance-related things because of crypto mining. Uh, these crypto mining validators validate all kinds of fraudulent transactions and transactions that fund human trafficking and, and all kinds of other things as well that are illegal. So this was a really weird one. I, I've never correlated those two things together, never even thought of it. But apparently this guy thinks that regulating crypto mining would somehow prevent human trafficking i just i i still don't see the correlation even after reading this article that just that makes no sense to me whatsoever so the article goes on to say that they're basically proposing a ban on crypto mining and that uh, you know most folks wouldn't be able to participate on public blockchain networks which that basically defeats the whole purpose of cryptocurrency right it's a decentralized anybody can get into it typically and and that's the whole point of it right so Doing any kind of regulation like that or ban on it is is crazy, really. And he also goes on to say that by imposing these regulations on the people and entities that perform the uh, transaction verifications or, or mining, it would make it much more difficult for some of the existing uh, blockchain-based payments to continue to operate like they do. And of course it would, you know, if this all of a sudden becomes illegal, well, hell, I mean, everybody that's mining for Ethereum or, or Bitcoin or whatever, I mean, that's, that's going to be huge, a huge hit to both of those public networks. So very, very odd tie in there to, 
to human trafficking. I still still don't understand it, even after reading this whole article. It's just, to me, it's stupid more than anything, but uh, I'll post that in the show notes. That was just a really, really weird one that caught my eye, and, and frankly, it makes me laugh a little bit, but God, I hope that doesn't happen. If it did, that would literally defeat the point of cryptocurrency. All right, some other cryptocurrency news. PwC announced that they're going to start accepting cryptocurrency payments from their clients starting next month. So there you go. That's a one of the big three accounting firms there, or big four. That's uh, going to start allowing crypto payments. So that's kind of interesting stuff there as well. And Bitcoin prices today are, are decent, I guess. Um, we're at 10426 for Bitcoin right now. 170 for Ethereum. Ripple's still at 25 cents. But all in all, Bitcoin's still up a little bit more than it was about a week ago. So that's good to see that as well. All right. One of the other big topics I wanted to touch on today was what's called cryptocurrency custody services. And exactly how does it work? And what, what do, what do people understand about this? And, and what, you know, what this supposed technology is offering as far as protection goes. So when you talk about crypto custody services, it's it's just what you think it is. It's a third-party entity holding funds on your behalf, right? And making sure that they're safe and secure. That's all it is, right? That's that's literally it. They're protecting private keys. And so while that's that's a great thought, and in theory, I'm sure you know, there's a way that that can work. But if you're just protecting private keys, what's what's the technology behind it? All you're doing is, you know, getting the private key from whatever customer and, and putting it behind lock and key. What's There's no real service there, in my opinion, at least. There's no effort that they really have to do. All they have to do is get their private key and, and hang on to it. The other problem with that is if the the custodian that is taking this private key, all of a sudden, if that money gets drained, they won't know if it was the original owner that drained it or if it got hacked. I mean, they they wouldn't even know how it got drained. And the original owner could be like, hey, it wasn't me. Sorry. So there's a lot of a lot of what ifs there. And personally, I don't I don't buy into it. I think it's essentially pointless. I don't really understand the need for it. But a lot of companies are selling custody uh, services. So this is it's a big trend here recently and certainly something that everybody should at least be aware of and, and understand what it's doing. And really, all it's doing is holding on to private keys. Private keys are what makes your crypto move on the blockchain. If somebody has your private keys, they have your money. That's all it takes. And what's worse here is, is even if you're using these custody services, your private keys could still be hacked. You know, there's no way that they can fully protect this, no matter what kind of lock and key they use. There's no way to make absolutely sure that it's 100% protected. So why people would pay for a custody service if you can't guarantee that it's going to be 100% safe is is beyond me. I, I certainly wouldn't pay for that. And again, as far as the custodian goes, they don't have to you know, store any money anywhere. It's all in the blockchain, right? There's no, there's no physical money. They don't have to, you can't take it out of the blockchain, right? I mean, all they're doing is getting those private keys, right? So I don't understand the need for this, this custodian services or, or custody services, but maybe I'm, I'm just completely off here. But to me, all it is, is protecting private keys 
and anybody can do that themselves, right? And even if you're doing it yourself, if somebody guesses right, they could still hack your private keys. It's just the way it goes, right? It's unlikely, of course, but there are ways to crack private keys. And it certainly does happen on occasion. And no matter how much you think you've encrypted things, if they have the right way to to crack a private key, then they're going to get those funds regardless of if you're using custody services or or anything else, really. So anyway, if you you see that kind of stuff on any of the big name websites talking about uh, custody services and all kinds of things like that, make sure you read all the fine print and really understand what you're getting into. Because from what I'm you know, just breaking it all down from, you know, the mumbo jumbo and marketing hype, all it is is protecting private keys. So that's not something that anybody really needs, I guess. But uh, if you don't trust yourself with your own private keys, then sure, yeah, I guess you can have somebody else hang on to those for you. But personally, I, I think I can do just fine protecting those. And I don't necessarily need a custody service that I'm going to pay for to do that. So anyway, if you see that, just be a little leery there and make sure that you're not uh, jumping into something that you may not need in the long term. All right, folks, that is all I have for today. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy, at CyberCryptoGuy on Twitter. Check me out on there. I retweet a bunch of the articles that we talk about here on the show. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.